Seeking for the help of the Lord, I desire this evening to continue our series with the questions asked in Scripture, with the question that we have sung of and the question that our Lord three times asked, Peter, lovest thou me? Those three questions you'll find in the Gospel according to John chapter 21 and from verse 15 through to 17 and we'll read those three verses so when they had dined Jesus saith to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me more than these he saith unto him yea Lord thou knowest that I love thee he saith unto him feed my lambs he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So, several times throughout these three verses we have this question, Lovest thou me? You might say, well in this case with Peter, why? Why did the Lord ask the question, these three times. Well, we would remember that Peter had professed that though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. And this is why the Lord framed the question in verse 15 as he did, uh, Lovest thou me more than these? Because Peter really had said that that was the case. Though all men were to forsake the Lord, yet he would not, as if he had a greater love to the Lord than others. And what followed then was what the Lord said, Satan hath desired to have thee, to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And Peter then was permitted to go into Satan's sieve when our Lord was taken and apprehended, then Peter follows afar off and he three times denies that he ever has known the Lord. Three times. And here when the Lord meets with them, he gives him the opportunity of three times testifying of his love to the Lord. We would remember that Peter in these times is appealing to the Lord, the Lord's knowledge of knowing all things and that the Lord does know that he loves the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. And... The Lord really, instead of three times saying to Peter, 
Peter, though you have denied me three times, I love thee, I still love thee. No, he asked Peter, because where the love of God is shed abroad in the sinner's heart, then the source of it is from God, and it is in that way that we know that God loves us. But Peter is very mindful of this, and he appeals to the Lord, and the Lord never says, Well, Peter, I thought you loved me, but you've denied me these three times. No, the Lord did know that Peter loved him because he had given him that love. It also tells us even one of the choicest apostles here that was greatly used in the Church of God, preaching at Pentecost, and then ten years later when the Spirit was given to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house, yet he has this time when to all appearances outwardly that he doesn't love the Lord. He left to deny his Lord. And we would be reminded that even God's dear people have those times when it seems that they do not have love. It seems there's no fruits of it. In temptation, in trial, we think of David, a man after God's own heart, and yet he commits adultery and murder and does things very inconsistent with the love of God and the Spirit of the Lord. And we are told in the very first of the letters to the churches in the Revelation, the letter to the church at Ephesus, that the Lord had somewhat against them because they had left their first love. The first love of the church and God's dear people is the Lord Jesus Christ. And they left that. And this was the reproof. The Lord wasn't casting them off as a church, but he was reproving them that their love to him was low. It was not what it once was. And so we would remember that. We have the hymn that we've sung at the beginning, John Newton's hymn, and the real searching questions a soul asks itself when they feel all what goes on, the changes and the things that they do <clears throat> that seem inconsistent with love. But then he balances that with the effects that love does have as well, showing there is love there. And we would remember, just like in a natural way, with men and women, husband and wife, or a parent to a child, that love is, is always there, but it ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's very strong and warm, and sometimes it is not so, uh, but it is always there. And so it is with the Lord for his people. I've loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. But we do have changes, and it is good for us to acknowledge that and to know that and to not judge as from one instance or another instance as to our overall love, but how it is on a general basis, from uh, as, a, as a continuous basis, if we 
even out, as it were, the, the, the troughs and the, 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 the downtimes, the changes that we have. Because we would remember that that love is not maintained from ourselves, it is maintained from God. Now, when the Lord had told about the denials that Peter would make before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice, the Lord had foretold that. He said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And we can see from the epistles of Peter how he does strengthen the brethren, especially in the face of temptation and trials and Satan's sieve. But here, when the Lord asks him these three times, lovest thou me, each profession of love, he gives him this commission to feed, feeding his lambs and feeding his sheep. A great part and work of the ministry is to feed the flock of God. What are they fed with? Are they fed with the law at Sinai, with law and terrors, the wrath of God? Or are they fed with the love of God, fed with the love in Christ Jesus? It really tells us something of what the Christian ministry is, the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It is a gospel of love. It was love that brought the Lord from glory to this world. Love that brought him to take his people's cause in hand. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so... I want to, this evening, look at how we may answer this question from the words of Scripture itself, and especially in the Gospel according to John, where we are here, he's termed the Apostle of Love, the one that leaned on Jesus' bosom. And not only the Gospel, but also his epistles that have a lot to say about the love of God. So I want to begin first going to the epistles of John and particularly the first epistle general of John. And in that epistle there are several headings I want to look at and really based upon the chapters in in this epistle looking firstly at chapter 2 1 John chapter 2 and there are things that go together words that go together verses 4 and 5 we read just those two verses first. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, 
In him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. And we have several words that are all brought together that make up the picture of love. One is not in isolation. The first is knowing the Lord. How can you love someone, really love them, if you do not know them? So, consistent with the love of God and love of the Lord Jesus Christ is to know him. We think of the, the promise, they shall not say one to another, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least unto the greatest. Whom to know is life eternal. And then we have the keeping of the commandments of God and keepeth not his commandments. So keeping his commandments consistent with knowing him, that is said, what are the commandments of the Lord? Really, it comprises all of the word of God. But with the Lord especially, is emphasised the commandment of love, what he calls the new commandment, or another commandment, or the eleventh commandment, it would be, and we think of the commandments and the ordinances, this do in remembrance of me, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, or the commandment go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. The ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper we have all of the word of God, not in a slavish way, but in the way of the gospel drawn by love. So we have his commandments, and then we have the truth. And the truth is not in him. If one does not keep the commandments, if they say that they know the Lord, but don't keep the commandments, Truth is not in him. So you have the knowledge of him, the keeping of his commandments, and the truth as well in that person. Then there's the keeping his word. In him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So we have the love of God, perfected and being in Christ. And all these things you can say, if the love of God is truly up there, there's keeping his word, there is knowing him, there's keeping his commandments, there is a keeping of his word. And all of these things show forth the love of God. It's not in isolation. It's not just on its own. There's a lot of things that accompany it, that go with it. We think of that in a natural way as well. If we love someone, then it's not just saying that we love them. There's many other things that go 
with that love that show it in practical, real ways. And so it is in the things of God. And this is what John highlights in this second chapter. He says in verse 15, as a contrary, uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's a looking at it from the, the other way as well, a testing of where there is that true love of God. But then if we move to the third chapter, then we have the manner of Christ's love that's set before us. In the very first verse, we have the word behold, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And it is the manner of Christ's love. And so we have in verse 11, For this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And so the manner of Christ's love is, is set before us in, in this chapter. We go through to... Uh, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then there's a description of how that is to be so, if whoso hath this world's goods, and seeing his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And in verse 18, My children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We think of that beautiful chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 of charity set forth a practical love. Faith, hope and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. And the example is set before us here. Really the Lord sees the need of his people. He saw the need of a saviour, a need of a redeemer. And he laid down his life for us. And the description is then that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The one that came to our Lord and he said that what should he do to inherit eternal life and the Lord pointed him to the commandments and the summary of them that we should love God with all our heart, with all our mind and all our soul and our neighbour as ourselves. And the one that had asked the question, willing to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbour? 
And the Lord then told the parable of what we would term the Good Samaritan. How that there was a man travelling from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem and how that he fell among thieves uh, who stripped him, wounded him, and left him half dead. And there came by the Levite and the priest that just looked on him and passed by the other side. And then there was the Samaritan that came, saw him, came down where he was and dressed his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, put him on his own beast, took him to an inn, took care of him and paid for uh, further care to be had. And our Lord asked that question then, which one was neighbour to him that fell among thieves? And the Lord illustrated then the, the practical effect of love, love to the brethren. And it is because of the love of God in one's heart that there is that effect to the brethren. And laying down our lives, putting aside uh, what we were doing, putting that off to another time so that we can help those that are in Need. Our Lord laid his glory by. He came to this world and he suffered, he bled, he died for his people. And it is in that way that the love of our Lord was shown to his people. Greater love had no man than this. We've already quoted that. That a man should lay down his life for his friends. And so in this third uh, chapter in John's first epistle, he is showing the manner of Christ's love and the effect that it will have upon us to mirror that love so that we will do the same. And I may say on this that it is God that works in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. He brings us, he constrains us to walk in these ways. It's not put on by us at all. And the Lord shows us the way that we are to walk in that. And I'd say in every way that we look at the love of God, we're not looking at what we are by nature. By nature we do not have the love of God. By nature we do not have it from ourselves. But it comes from the Lord. The Lord is the source of it. And when that love is shed abroad, that then kindles ours and brings us to walk in those same ways. But then we have, if we go to the fourth chapter, the next chapter in the same epistle, then we have the source of love that is set forth before us. The uh, source of it is uh, set forth. We, we are of God in verse 6. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is of God. There's the source of it. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And these are the words that were in the early chapter 2, where there's the knowledge of God and the love of God that is put together. And here the Apostle is pointing to the great source of the love of God. Herein is love, in verse 10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath-ending sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And so that the source that is the source of love that is given to us that then has the fruits of love to another. And the Apostle is tracing this out and making very clear. And in verse 19 he says, We love him because he first loved us. And if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We'd remember the, where our text is. Where our text is, is the gospel according to John. And John heard and recorded all that the Lord said to Peter. And I believe that it has left a real impression upon John. And so throughout his epistles, he is dwelling very much on the love of God and what it is to actually love God and the fruits and effects of it is not just in word but it's in actual deed. It is outwardly shown. It's very easy just to, to use words and say, well, why love God? I always love God. But then when we view that person's life, they don't love the brethren or they uh, in bitterness or a hardness. And the word of God points us all the time to the fruits and effects of the love of God in, in the heart. And so uh, this is the source that John points us to here. Well, I want to go now back to the Gospel according to John and back to the 14th chapter 
the Gospel according to John and chapter 14. And in verse 15, we have a beginning of a passage that speaks of the love of God. And again, it is centering on the commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And then we have in verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So this word very clearly identifies those that actually do love the Lord. Our Lord clarifies this further in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And so we have in the word of God some very clear tests, very clear ways that we may know whether or not we really do love the Lord. Now I want to be very clear in this because we mustn't think, well, if we're then to know the love of God, we must be able to demonstrate this by going back to the law, the Ten Commandments, and our hope for heaven is now based upon our observing of them. But in the Gospel, the Lord sets before us his work, his sacrifice, and what he has accomplished at Calvary, a laying down his life for his people. Why? Because they cannot, by their own deeds and by themselves, fulfil the law of God. Sin is in everything that we say and do, what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And so it is the showing forth of the love of God and the commandments in the people of God, not sending them back to the law, but sending them to the gospel, sending them to believe in him who has done for them what they could not do for themselves. The fruit of realising what Christ has done for us will be a constraining influence. It won't be a doing of the commandments under the law with the thought of inheriting eternal life from that. 
nor will it be a doing it with thinking of proving that we actually love the Lord. It will be under that word, the love of Christ constraineth us. Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, he said, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. The two tables of the law, one was toward God, and the other one was to the neighbour. The two influences, if you like, of fulfilling or obeying the law of God or anything, all of the word of God. One driving principle is to achieve heaven and God's favour by our own works. The other is a constraint by love. Because the Lord has suffered for us, because we know him, because we believe the gospel and believe what he has done for us, then that constrains us to desire to do what is pleasing in his sight for love's sake, not for any other sake at all. If we had in our household, say if we had our children and then we had some servants, and we wrote some rules or things, duties that needed to be done for the servant. And they went through and they did exactly what was required of them and they ticked off each one. And they just did that which was their duty to do, what they were required to do. If they didn't do that, then they'd be cast out as a servant. But the children that love their parents, the parents love them, they also were asked to help and do things. But many of the things they didn't even have to be asked. They just did it for love's sake. And went further than what the servant was asked to do. If the children didn't do it or didn't do it well, they wouldn't be cast out and not be a child because they were a child. But they were never then doing things with the threat of being evicted, with the threat that if they failed in one point, then they'd be cast out. A very distinct difference between a child and a servant. And when we're talking about the love of God, Lovest thou me? It is the love of a child, a child of God, not the love of a servant, not a, a slavish love, but a constraining love, a love that has an effect towards the brethren, to the Lord's people, to the word of God, to the house of God, to the commandments of God, to what the Lord loves, and to hate that which he hates. is a very different principle that actually motivates that love. It comes from heaven, given sovereignly. 
in the heart of the people of God. They have that love to him whom they know bled, suffered, laid down his life for them. And in turn, they have that love for the people of God and love for the Lord himself. It's a sad thing if one was to say, well, I understand what Christ has done. I understand the love that he's shown me in suffering upon Calvary's tree, but I'm not going to join his church. I'm not going to sit with his people at the Lord's table. I know the Lord has said this do in remembrance of me, but, but I'm not going to do that. And I know the Lord has commanded his servants to, to preach and to baptise believers, but I'm not going to be baptised. I can dispense with that. If someone has that attitude, you've got a question, do they really love the Lord? I believe there have been, I know there have been those that truly have loved the Lord, that haven't walked in his ways. But I believe it cannot be on the basis that they've truly known the Lord's will and really realised. May we never use as an example the Lord's dear people who have not walked according to the word of God and the Lord's commands as a reason why we should not do so. should be a real concern to us whether we really do love the Lord if we can lay aside the Lord's sweet New Testament commands. It's a blessed thing when that love is shed abroad in our hearts and we say like the eunuch, see here is water, what doth hinder me? to be baptised. And there is that constraining love of God. And to, to love the brethren as well is not something that we feel welling up in our hearts every day of our lives. You know, I've had some very sweet, sacred times when unexpectedly the Lord shed abroad in my heart such a love to the brethren for the Lord's sake. It really profoundly affected me. And you love them because they are the Lord's. And you can see the Lord's image in them. And they are part of that same living family of God. You see it sometimes through the scriptures. You see the love that Jonathan and David had, a spiritual love, a love together, not any way in an inordinate way, but a real bond. You see that with Naomi and Naomi and Ruth as well, how that Ruth claved to her mother-in-law, thy people shall be my people, thy God, my God, where thou dwellest will I dwell, and there will I be buried. She didn't want to be parted, the dear disciples being let go, they went unto their own company. You think of the effect when our Lord died, yielded up his life, his body hung upon the tree, and there comes Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, and there he is constrained to come and ask the body of our Lord. And there is Nicodemus who came to the Lord by night.
And he also, he comes and he helps take down the body. What was constraining them? What was moving them at that time to do that? But love to the Lord. And it's a blessed thing when we have that moving upon us to do what we would not do ourselves, could not do ourselves. But as the Lord sheds abroad his love, then it has an effect, it moves. And it is shown outwardly. So this question that our Lord asked Peter these three times, how many times are we found it really searching for ourselves. Some of the Lord's dear people is a very searching question, and it should be, do we really love the Lord? But how is that love seen? How is it shown? Is it just in word? No, not a real love. It's indeed also. Is it based on something? Yes, it is on a knowledge of the Lord and a knowledge of his word, his will, his commandments, his ways, what is pleasing to him, what is not. Love is joined to all of these things. And so may we be helped to understand what Peter's been asked here. Lovest thou me? It might be a searching word for us too. Because if we are like that church at Ephesus, where love is cold and faint, where the love of the world is grown strong, where we find it hard work, hard work to obey, hard work to walk in his ways, hard work to show love or to lay down our lives for the brethren. May our prayer and desire be that the Lord would rekindle in our hearts that love of God, that he would grant us that gift and all that flows from it, all the constrainings that are joined with it and abound with it. Lovest thou me. Dear Peter, he could appeal unto the Lord and may we also be able to Appeal unto the Lord, and where, where it is not clear, ask the Lord that he bring about those situations in our lives and that he would prove it to us, show it to us, of the effect that the love of God has had upon us, or does have, or maybe years ago had, but now is not the same when it really affected what we did in our lives, changes that it made, crosses that we took up, things that we did to the brethren. And it was the effect of love to the Lord. Lovest thou may the Lord add his blessing. Amen.